when, when Dallas and I, when we were engaged, this was a long time ago, uh, we, took a, we took a dance class together. Has anyone ever done a dance class? Yeah? <laughs> it's a unique challenge, isn't it? Uh, we, so during this dance class, because we, we wanted to be able to dance together during our uh, reception and not look completely incompetent. And that's, that's on my part, not on Dallas's part. She is, she is a graceful dancer, didn't need to take a class, but she did it with me to encourage me to learn. So we learned how to do like the waltz and the foxtrot, which is a real thing. Uh, the, I think, did we do the salsa? The tang, salsa is like more advanced, right? But the, the tango, we did a tango, right? <laughs> <laughs> it took two uh, to tango. So we, we did all, all these kind of dances. There's probably more. I can't remember the names. And, and over the course of our marriage, I didn't bomb the, the reception dance. And we didn't even do like a, it was just a slow dance. But you know, I, was, I felt more confident because we had done the class. And, and over the course of our marriage, we've danced many times together. And I really like dancing with Dallas. It's, it's just really enjoyable and uh, sometimes we've gone to like these celebrations, you know, other, other weddings or parties, things like that. And, and there's uh, like folk dancing. Have you guys been around folk dancing, right? It's kind of like advanced barn or square dancing. And everybody is involved in the whole room. There's like a caller and they're, they're calling out things. And everybody... I, the first time I saw this, I had no idea what was happening. Like, everyone was all excited, and they knew what was happening, and I did not know what was happening. I didn't know what was going on. I didn't know people did this. And, and so there's all these complicated moves and steps, sequences, and then at some point you're running around in a circle, and you're partnering up with people you don't know for a little while, then you move to somebody else, and it's just, it's a lot going on, and uh, I like dancing with Dallas, but I don't really like dancing with a whole room full of people, like in some organized way. That just, that's a lot for me. So I usually see that start to happen, and I I withdraw. I, I sit this one out like I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to just go get a beverage. I'm going to sit down and those people can have fun and I will be over here on the side. Uh, so who, who else here is a wallflower when it comes to dancing, whether it's with a big group or individually? Any wallflowers? Hugh is a wallflower. He's not into it. And it could just be like, Dave, okay, I thought you would raise your hand. I was surprised you didn't actually... <laughs> Oh, yeah, you know, and, and this could apply to like regular white people dancing to music, just not rhythmically. I mean, that could be it too. Maybe you're not into that. Um, but, but I was examining this, like, why don't I like doing this or participating? And, and you know, why, why don't we dance? Why don't we join in? Uh, I think it's because for me, you know, I might embarrass myself. I might you know, inadvertently knock someone over. I'm a large person. You know, it's a very high probability of just hitting someone uh, with my body, taking them out. Um, you know, it could be, you know, I'll make the wrong move. Everyone else will be doing this and I'm doing something else. That's not really what it looks like. I just, I don't even know. I can't even, I couldn't even come up with a physical example. Um, 
And there's some, like those people, I would see them, they look so confident and they just knew what they were doing. And I felt, I feel none of that when I see these, these big folk dances and I just think, I, it's, it's like playing the drums. I don't know how people do like four things at the same time and they know what's coming next. I just, I can't do it. And so, so when we feel that way, we can content ourselves to, to sideline ourselves, to sit on the sides, to, to watch. And I think that, that when it comes to living on Jesus' mission, living as a disciple of Jesus, I think a lot of times we can do the same kind of thing. We, we, can, we can sit on the sidelines. So we, we, would, we would say, I understand that Jesus has called us to make disciples. He's called us to declare and display the good news of Jesus through, through our actions and through our words, the things we say and do, but we don't really know how to do that. We don't know the steps and we might not know all the answers. We might say something wrong and really mess somebody up for all eternity, we, we might think. And, and so we just kind of sideline ourselves. Like, I, I'm just going to sit this one out. I'll be, a, I'll be a wallflower Christian just sort of observing and, and being aware of what's happening, observing it, but not really actively participating in, in this dance of a life of following Jesus on mission, and, and I think we can even do this with the way that we read the scriptures, the way we understand the Bible, God's word, and that, that can happen together when we're like this in a gathering or when we're, when we're reading the Bible individually, that, that we can read the scriptures, we can read the word of God, we can believe it, we can, we can have sort of an intellectual idea of what it is, but, but we don't always know or have an idea of how what we're reading or learning about connects to our life, our everyday life, like our, what's happening in our home and what's happening in our workplace and what's happening at school and, and in our relationships. Like how, how do we connect the, the, the word of God with like how we spend our time and how we spend our money? And, and so we could say, in a sense, we observe the, the scriptures, but we don't really participate in it or see this connection between, between what we're learning about and the life that we're living. But, but that is not, that's not really the life of a disciple, like an active, growing, flourishing kind of a, a follower of Jesus. And, and I think, I read this quote from this author named Eugene Peterson he, he says specifically about reading the scripture, he says, Christians don't simply learn or study or use scripture. We, we assimilate it. We, we take it into our lives in such a way that it gets metabolized into acts of love, cups of cold water, missions into all the world, healing and evangelism and justice in Jesus' name, hands raised in adoration to the Father, feet washed in company with the Son. I think that, that as we are continuing in this series through the book of Acts, I think that really is our challenge. 
Uh, that's, that's, the, that's what we're doing is, is learning. How do we, how do we metabolize? You, you know that word, right? You, you eat food and your body metabolizes it, goes through this process to, to give you energy and life, basically. How do we metabolize what we are seeing unfolded before us, right? Where Acts is the story of the, the birth of the church of Jesus. How do we take that in and see it converted into a life of, of mission? How do we take what we see Paul and Barnabas and these other people who are being sent out on mission, how do we see that metabolize into us being sent out in Eureka and Fortuna and McKinleyville and wherever God might have us? Like, how do we how do we connect those things? How do we see them tied together? How do we move from the, the edges of the dance floor out onto the, the, the floor of God's mission, right? Out on, into the mix, running around, experiencing the joy and the life of Jesus' mission. And I think the passage, the passage that we're looking at today in Acts chapter 13, I think this is a really wonderful place and opportunity for us to to do this or to, to try to, to connect, right? We're reading it, we're studying it, we're learning about it, but how are we going to see it metabolize into an active life of mission? Because Acts 13, this passage, and we're looking at verses 13 through 52, it's a, it's a big chunk, but, but it's, it's a narrative, right, where here's a story, here's what happens, but it's also an invitation for us, like, we can do the same thing, we, we can be living in the same way, we can participate in what God is doing today, not just what he's done in the past, not just learn about that. So, so we can say following Jesus is hard. It presents challenges. Being on Jesus' mission is a challenge, but, but there's, in Jesus' mission, in his body, and his family, there's, there's really no need to be a wallflower. There's no need to be off to the side. We all have a part to play in Jesus mission. So we're going to read this passage Acts 13 13 through 52 and it's on page 921 goes over to 922 if you're using one of the the bibles from the table in the back. And so as we learn about the the challenge or the difficulty of mission, we will see the challenge of going, the challenge of context and the challenge of discipleship. So let's read this passage, Acts 13, beginning in verse 13. Now Paul and his companions set sail from Paphos and came to Perga and Pamphylia, and John left them and returned to Jerusalem. But they went on from Perga and came to Antioch and Pisidia. And on the Sabbath day, they went into the synagogue and sat down. After the reading from the law and the prophets, the rulers of the synagogue sent a message to them saying, Brothers, if you have any word of exhortation for the people, say it. So Paul stood up and motioning with his hand said, Men of Israel and you who fear God, listen. The God of this people, Israel, chose our fathers and made the people great during their stay in the land of Egypt. And with uplifted arm, he led them out of it. And for about 40 years, he put up with them in the wilderness. And after destroying seven nations in the land of Canaan, he gave them their land as an inheritance. All this took about 450 years. And after that, he gave them judges until Samuel the prophet. Then they asked for a king, and God gave them Saul, the son of Kish, a man of the tribe of Benjamin, for 40 years. 
And when he had removed him, he raised up David to be their king, of whom he testified and said, I have found in David the son of Jesse a man after my own heart who will do all my will. Of this man's offspring, God has brought to Israel a savior, Jesus, as he promised. Before his coming, John had proclaimed a baptism of repentance to all the people of Israel. And as John was finishing his course, he said, What do you suppose that I am? I am not he. No, but behold, after me one is coming, the sandals of whose feet I am not worthy to untie. Brothers, sons of the family of Abraham, and those among you who fear God, to us has been sent the message of this salvation. For those who live in Jerusalem and their rulers, because they did not recognize him nor understand the utterances of the prophets which are read every Sabbath, fulfilled them by condemning him. And though they found in him no guilt worthy of death, they asked Pilate to have him executed. And when they had carried out all that was written of him, they took him down from the tree and laid him in a tomb. But God raised him from the dead. And for many days he appeared to those who had come up with him from Galilee to Jerusalem, who are now his witnesses to the people. And we bring you the good news that what God promised to the fathers, this he has fulfilled to us, their children, by raising Jesus, as also it is written in the second psalm, you are my son, today I have begotten you. And as for the fact that he raised him from the dead, no more to return to corruption, he has spoken in this way, I will give you the holy and sure blessings of David. Therefore, he says also in another psalm, you will not let your holy one see corruption. For David, after he had served the purpose of God in his own generation, fell asleep and was laid with his fathers and saw corruption. But he, whom God raised up, did not see corruption. Let it be known to you, therefore, brothers, that through this man forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you, and by him everyone who believes is freed from everything from which you could not be freed by the law of Moses." Beware, therefore, lest what is said in the prophets should come about. Look, you scoffers, be astounded and perish, for I am doing a work in your days, a work that you will not believe even if one tells it to you. As they went out, the people begged that these things might be told them the next Sabbath. And after the meeting of the synagogue broke up, many Jews and devout converts to Judaism followed Paul and Barnabas who, as they spoke with them, urged them to continue in the grace of God. The next Sabbath, almost the whole city gathered to hear the word of the Lord. But when the Jews saw the crowds, they were filled with jealousy and began to contradict what was spoken by Paul, reviling him. And Paul and Barnabas spoke out boldly, saying, It was necessary that the word of God be spoken first to you, Since you thrust it aside and judge yourselves unworthy of eternal life, behold, we are turning to the Gentiles. For so the Lord has commanded us, saying, I have made you a light for the Gentiles, that you may bring salvation to the ends of the earth. And when the Gentiles heard this, they began rejoicing and glorifying the word of the Lord. And as many as were appointed to eternal life believed And the word of the Lord was spreading throughout the whole region. But the Jews incited the devout women of of high standing and the leading men of the city stirred up persecution against Paul and Barnabas and drove them out of their district. 
But they shook off the dust from their feet against them and went to Iconium. And the disciples were filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. This is God's word. Let's pray once more. Father, we ask now that you would bless the reading and the hearing and the preaching of your word. There's so much for us here to to learn about, but, but even more than that, there is so much for us to see metabolized into our, our hearts and our lives. And I pray that, that, Holy Spirit, you would lead us not just to learn something about what happened, but, but to inspire and, and compel us by love to be about your mission in the world today, and that what we see here would be what is coming out of our lives as we follow Jesus as well. So would you instruct us and would you, would you compel us? We pray in your name, Jesus. Amen. All right. That is a long chunk, right? That's a big one. But I'm still going to try to to just get through it all in one week. So we'll see how it goes. So first in this passage, I think we see uh, in the challenge of being on Jesus' mission, we have the challenge of, of going, of actively going on Jesus' mission. So we're sent by Jesus. Jesus said, I'm sending you in the same way that the Father sent me, and I'm sending you to go make disciples, to, to teach people about who I am and what I have done. So along the way, as we go, we're going to experience many challenges. And, and all through the book of Acts up to this point, we've, we've seen the church, right? The people of Jesus, they've been been gathered in as they receive the gospel, as they put their faith in Jesus, and then they have been sent out with that good news. Uh, And mostly it's happened because of persecution. Mostly it's happened because uh, they've been getting driven out of places because it's causing too many too many problems, but as we saw last week, uh, as, as the church is gathered together in the city of Antioch, this is confusing because there's two Antiochs in Acts 13, and they're very far apart from each other. One's in, um, one's in Syria, one is in, I think it's like in, I don't have the map up yet. Uh, you'll see, we have a map. It makes it so much easier than just trying to describe it. <laughs> so there's two, two Antiochs. The first Antioch in Syria there we go. Can you guys see that? Some red dots on there. Um, so the, the Holy Spirit says, I want you to send uh, Barnabas and Paul uh, to go on a mission. Not because of persecution, but I want you to intentionally send these men out to be about my mission, to go to these places and tell people about Jesus. So so they go, they, they have this young man named John Mark who goes with them. They go to the coast, they go to Cyprus. This is what we looked at last week in the beginning of chapter 13. They, they get there, they preach, they teach, they see some people reject Jesus, some people receive Jesus, put their faith in Jesus, and they continue to go. We see it in verse 13. They, they leave Paphos. They come to this city named Perga. John leaves and goes back to Jerusalem, and, and Paul and Barnabas continue and go to this other city named Antioch. That's the one that's the furthest up on the left on the map there. And one of the challenges I think we see right away here that, that when we're on Jesus' mission, there is the challenge of being in, in community. We, 
we want to go on Jesus' mission together. We don't want to all be a bunch of lone wolf missionaries just doing our own thing. But when we go together, and this is like any, any good road trip you go on with your friends, there's the challenge of being in, in community. You might like someone a lot. You have this great group of people. Sometimes it's, it's your spouse and your children. You like them, but then you go on a trip and you're like, I'm ready to not be around them for a little while. Maybe we could just take a little break here. Uh, I'm, I'm tired of, of being with these people. Uh, and, and verse 13 says that John leaves Paul and Barnabas and he goes back to Jerusalem. Doesn't say why, doesn't say what happened, just says that, that he leaves. Now, now think about this practically. There's three men. They've already gone through some crazy stuff, right? They go to the island of Cyprus. There's this confrontation with a, with a sorcerer, magician guy, and, and this Roman official puts his faith in Jesus while the magician gets blinded because he's trying to deceive people about Jesus. Like, that's exciting. That's a, that's a, that's a bonding experience, right? That's a real team-building exercise. And, and they've just been on ministry together, and one-third of their group leaves, and goes, goes away. And I think just from a practical sense, you feel that, right? Like you would sense the loss of that person being with you. But, but there's also more going on here because we'll see this in Acts chapter 15 that, that Paul was upset that John had left them, that he felt that, that John had abandoned them for illegitimate reasons and that, that John had given up and Paul was... He was upset that this had happened. So it's not just someone leaving, but it's someone leaving under poor circumstances. And you can imagine that, that there was some kind of discussion that occurred around this uh, of, of John leaving them. So now we have Paul and Barnabas. And here's something we should take note of. Everywhere else leading up to this point, Barnabas has been the primary uh, or the more well-known Christian. In the church at Antioch, he was a leader, and he was a prominent member of that community, and Paul was not as well-known, and he obviously had a bad reputation uh, for imprisoning and killing Christians, so there might have been a little bit of hesitation there. But, but so, so Barnas, Barnabas has been the prominent person, and, and Paul has been secondary. But what is, what's, what's it say in verse 13? Paul and his companions leave and go to these new places. So it's gone from Barnabas and Paul to Paul and his companions. Barnabas doesn't even get his name in there now. And I think what Luke is trying to tell us here, the author of Acts, is that there's been a shift within the dynamic of this team of, of missionaries that, that the one who has been more prominent is now taking a secondary role, and Paul is being placed in the more prominent role. And that, that has an effect, right, within the dynamic of a team. You know, if you've ever been replaced by someone else at work or something, right, you, you sense that. And we don't get any indication that Barnabas was upset about this. It doesn't say that Barnabas complained. He didn't leave. He continues on the mission with Paul, but we have to recognize this, the changing of the dynamics that things are moving around. And as we go on Jesus' mission, there will be challenges within our relationships, within the, the community that we're a part of. Sometimes we will disagree. Sometimes 
people will let us down, and we will let other people down. Sometimes, uh, Sometimes one person's gifting that we didn't know was there will actually be uh, shown like the Holy Spirit will empower people in different ways and, and sort of they'll become more prominent and more recognized and the way God uses them while another person might be unseen and obscure in the way that they're serving on the mission of Jesus and people move away and circumstances change in people's lives. It's just, it's hard. It's a challenge within our relationships, within our community And though it is hard, we still go. We're still sent on Jesus' mission. Another challenge of going on Jesus' mission is just the the physical challenge of it, right? They're not doing a podcast, right? They're not not, um, sending out audio recordings of teachings on Jesus. They are going in a physical sense to a new place. And, and if you look at the route that Paul and Barnabas go on, they, they leave the city of Perga and they go to Antioch to the north. It's about 100 miles on foot through a mountain range and they don't have REI, right? They don't have good gear. They don't have hiking shoes. They don't have a polar fleece. Like they don't have any of that stuff. They're on foot going through this treacherous territory. It's mountainous. Uh, Antioch is like 3,600 feet in elevation, so they have to climb from the sea up to 3,600 feet. Um, There's a lot of flash floods in this area. There's a lot of bandits. People are trying to steal from travelers who are going to rob them and beat them. Uh, it, It reminded me of just trying to get in and out of Humboldt County during the winter, right? Like it's sometimes, it feels, it feels pretty scary. You're like, are we going to make it? I don't know. (laughs) Some rock slide is you're going to take the car out as we're going. Um, And and we see this through, through the rest of the book of Acts. I mean, the physical challenge of going on Jesus' mission. Paul, uh, in one of his letters, he, he basically makes a list. These are the things that I've experienced. I've been beaten this many times. I've had people throw giant rocks at me this many times. Uh, I've, uh, you know, we've been through terrible weather. We've, uh, you know, shipwrecked this many times, sickness. Uh, a lot of people theorize that the reason that Paul and Barnabas actually go to the city is because Paul contracted an illness and he had to go to a higher elevation, and so they tried to combine mission with the physical health and recovery for, for Paul. So we see that following Jesus, it means that we're sent, we go, and as we go, we will experience challenges. You will experience challenges. You're probably not going to be in a shipwreck, um, but, but circumstances are difficult. There will be physical challenges with could be some kind of danger, it could be health, it could be opposition, there could be, you know, we just go through seasons of, of maybe depression or sadness or anxiety, but because we belong to Jesus, we don't lose heart, we don't give up, we don't turn away, we, we press on in the power of the Holy Spirit, we continue to bring Jesus to the people and the places that Jesus has called us to go. That's the challenge of going. And next we see the challenge of context. What do I mean by by context? So here's what this word or idea means. Wherever we go on Jesus' mission 
It will require us to be aware of who we are talking to and how to talk to them. How do we speak to them? Because every person, every place, every culture uh, has its own language and customs and, and just the way of looking at the world, the way of understanding the world. And you could think about this, like how different are we here in Humboldt County from people in Los Angeles? It's pretty different. It feels like another country, basically. You're like, I am not from there, I am from here, or I don't want to go there. I like it here, because they're different, right? So, so that's the context. Humboldt County is a context, and Los Angeles is a context. Our challenge is to learn how do we share the good news of Jesus in a way that makes sense to the people that we're going to to the context that we are sent to. Tony Marita, he says, the, the context is learning to share the fixed gospel with flexible communication. We're not changing the message of Jesus. We're not taking anything away from it. We're not adding to it. But we, uh, in the wisdom of the Holy Spirit and in our, in our looking at the people that we're going to, we adapt the way that we share the gospel with people. So uh, Steve Timmis, who is a pastor and a church planner, he's also the head of Acts 29, which is the church planning network that we're part of. He's been planning churches for like 35 years. He's, he explains it like this. In every situation, there needs to be a point of contact with the people to understand their values, their history, their communication style, and a point of conflict that reveals how their own narrative or the way they look at the world conflicts with that of the gospel of Jesus. So, so another way we could say it, our task, our challenge is to find out what are the bridges to the gospel in the people that God has sent me to, and what are the barriers to the gospel in the people that, I, that God has sent me to. And that's what we see Paul and Barnabas doing. As soon as they come into this new city, they go to the synagogue, which is the gathering place for, for the Jewish community. That's where they go to learn about the Old Testament, to gather together and worship God. So, so Paul and Barnabas go there, and, and the, the normal things are happening, and Paul gets this invitation to to speak to the entire community because they probably know this guy was, he's a super educated uh, Jewish man. He's been brought up in like the most stringent way in the Jewish faith. And so maybe he has something to say to us. And, and Paul, as he gets up, he knows who he's talking to, right? He understands the people that he's sharing this message with. He knows they believe in the Old Testament scriptures. He knows they believe that God promised a Messiah would come. And so Paul says, here's my bridge. Here's my point of contact. So he, he takes it. He, he gives them a sermon. I will tell you guys, it is always hard to preach a sermon about a sermon, something I never knew would be such a challenge. So you're like explaining somebody else's sermon, uh, and it's just challenging. But, but I love the way that Paul does this. I think it's so instructive for us to learn how to, to meet people where they are. He, he says, listen to what I have to say. I have a message for you that is, 
that is good. First, Paul says, here's, here's what happened. Let's look back on our story. These are the things that God has done in our past, in the, in the history of Israel. He says, the God of this people, Israel, chose our fathers. So he just traces back their history. Our God chose us. Our God blessed us. Our God rescued us. He carried us. He defeated our enemies. Our God gave us leaders. He gave us King David, who was a man after his own heart, who did what God wanted him to do. Our God made us promises, and he's given us his grace again and again, even as we walked away from him again and again. That's our story, Paul says. That's the history that we share. That's the story of us, and that's the story of our God. He walks out on that bridge to them by telling them this story, and then he's, he takes a leap that they were not expecting. He says, all of this history, all this story, everything that we look back on, it was all leading to one person. It was leading to Jesus. In verse 23, he says, of the offspring in the line of David, God has brought to Israel a Savior, Jesus, just as he promised. So, so Paul says, John the Baptist said, look, he's here now, and that's what I'm doing for you. I'm telling you that the one that we have been waiting for is here. Here's what has happened. And Paul knows this is this is a barrier for his listeners, right? This is a, a point of conflict. So he moves from saying, here's what happened, to here's why it matters. Here's why this is important. He says, Jesus is the fulfillment of all the promises that God made to us. God made promises, and in Jesus, God has kept his promises. He says in verse 32, I'm here. Me and Barnabas are here to bring you the good news that what God promised to our ancestors, our fathers, he's fulfilled to us by raising Jesus. Now, how, how can Paul make this claim that, that Jesus is the fulfillment of, of the promises of God? What's his proof? He says it in two ways. He says, Jesus, he fulfills the prophecies that were, that were in the Old Testament, and he quotes from three different ones in the Old Testament, a couple Psalms, Isaiah 55, and he he uses the example of David. He says, Psalm 16 says, you will not let your Holy One see corruption. You won't let him see rot and decay. And Paul says, we know. David died and he, he was buried in a tomb and he, his body did what everyone's body does when they go in a tomb. They decay. But Jesus did not do that. He was put in a tomb, but his body did not see decay because he was raised from the dead. And that's the second way that Paul says, this is how we know that Jesus is the Messiah or the, the keeper of the promises or the fulfillment of the promises because God raised him from the dead. The resurrection, we can say it's a verification, a proof that Jesus is the Messiah. And, and Paul says, if you want to go explore this or learn more about it, you can go to Jerusalem and talk to eyewitnesses, people who saw Jesus raised from the dead. 
You can, you can go verify. You don't have to listen to me. Go ahead. There's, it, it says in 1 Corinthians when Paul says something very similar, that up to 500 people saw Jesus resurrected life after death. Why is this so important? Why does it matter? Because if Jesus is the fulfillment of God's promises, that means who he is, what he did through his life, death, and resurrection, it's, it's the climax of the story that God has been telling. Like this is the point of everything that God has done throughout the entire history of Israel. Jesus is the pinnacle. He's the climax. He is the, this is why we are here. Paul said, here's what's happened. Here's why it matters, because Jesus is the pinnacle, and he finishes his sermon, not finishing my sermon, but he's finishing his. He says, here's what you need to do. Here's how you need to respond, because this matters so much. Here's how you need to respond. He says, let it be known to you, therefore, because this is true, brothers, my brothers, he calls them, that through this man's through this man, forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you by him. Everyone who believes is freed from everything from which you could not be freed by the law of Moses. And he says, beware, therefore, lest what is said in the prophets should come about. So here's what Paul does in his conclusion. He gives them an invitation and he gives them a warning. Here's what you need to do. First, trust in Jesus. Put your hope in Jesus. Put your faith in Jesus because only in Jesus can you receive forgiveness and freedom from your sin and your guilt and your shame. It's not going to happen any other way because of what Jesus has done for us on the cross because he took our penalty, the punishment for our sin on himself. Now, if we believe in him, if we, if we trust in him, we can stand before God completely justified, no record of wrong on our account, that God sees us not just as a blank slate, but also having all the righteousness of Jesus, that his perfect life is now applied to us. This is invitation. Believe in him. Trust in him. Because you can't get this salvation or this freedom through keeping the law. It's only through faith in Jesus that you can receive this forgiveness and this freedom. Jesus did keep the law. He was perfect. And he gave himself for us. So trust in him. Be free in him, that's his invitation. And then he says, here's what you need to do. Don't ignore this. Don't do what everyone else has, you know, what all the people in Jerusalem were doing. Don't do what the people in the Old Testament did and the prophets warned about. Don't miss the grace that God has given to you in Jesus. Don't reject Jesus. And in this prophecy he quotes from Habakkuk, God is saying to his people, I could put it right in front of you and you wouldn't even see it. Don't do that, Paul says. Don't miss what God has put right in front of you. Paul, what's he doing here? He's embracing this challenge of context. He's working hard to explain the good news of Jesus to, to these people in a way that makes sense to them. 
Here's what God has done. Here's why it matters. Here's what you need to do. But I think we need to just ask one more question. Why does Paul do this? Why does Paul spend this time and expend this energy to go to people? And I think you could say, well, because God told him to do that. But I love when you, when you read this and you spend some time and you sense the affection and the love that Paul has for these people that he's gone. He doesn't know them. He doesn't have a relationship with them other than God sent me to you and I have, I have wonderful news for you and he's pleading with them. He is appealing to them in a heartfelt way. He, he loves these people and God sent them. So, so Paul says, I'm gonna, I'm gonna push through the challenge of, of relating to you even though it might be difficult. And, and I think the same is true for us, that, that we've been sent by people, or we've been sent by God to love the people that God has put into our lives. And, and we're to, the most loving thing that we can do is, is labor and work to find out, how do I share Jesus with this person in a way that makes sense? in a way that will be clear to them, in a, in a way that's real to them. And that's something that we should, we should spend time on that. And we should, we should pray, God, show me how to show you to them. Lead me. Show me how, you know, with my, with my kids who are, I just, I've tried to explain the gospel to them. I've tried to live it out in front of them. Show me how to teach them about Jesus. I've run, I've run out of everything I can do or know with my coworker, with my roommate, with my friend, whatever, whoever it is. God, show me how I can show you to them. How can I say, here's what God has done. Here's why it matters and, and invite them. Here's what you need to do. All right, we've seen the challenge of going, that, that physical, relational toll of being on Jesus' mission. We've seen the challenge of context, learning how to communicate the gospel to people that God has called us to love. And here's the last one, the challenge of discipleship. It's hard to be on Jesus' mission. It's hard to be about making disciples in, at home, in the neighborhood, at work, uh, with our friends, at school. It's hard to make disciples. Why is that? I think it's because we, we feel the tension uh, of, of making disciples. When we do Jesus' work, we, have, we experience opposition, difficulty, but we also see God moving, doing things, saving people, and we live in that tension. Um, first, when we make disciples, there's opposition, and we see this with, uh, with Paul and Barnabas. Uh, they Paul preaches in the synagogue, and there seems to be initially like this really positive response. We, we want you to come back again next week. Tell us more about this Jesus. There's a, there's a great buzz in the city, and the next week uh, when, when they come back, it, Luke, the author of Acts, he says almost the whole city shows up. And, and so you imagine they probably had to go somewhere else other than the synagogue. There's... there's there's probably thousands of people here to listen, and, and there's just an energy in this moment, but, but what happens? The, the leaders of the synagogue who said, come back and, and share more about Jesus with us, they get 
twisted with, with jealousy and, and anger that, that this new message is receiving so much uh, excitement. And, and the one that they've been preaching and teaching for so long, it's just, it never did this before. So there's this response of jealousy and anger. And they start to say terrible things about Paul. They're, they're slandering him. They're lying. And, and it's likely that they, were, that they were speaking against Jesus as well, that they were blaspheming Jesus and saying, he is not the Messiah. He is not the Son of God. And eventually we see they run Paul and Barnabas out of town. They, they get their influential friends, get these guys out of here. And, and that's exactly what happens. There's this opposition, and opposition is discouraging, right? You go from, man, the response seems so positive, and now, you know, there's this riot of anger and jealousy, and, and the same people who invited us are the ones sending us away. That's, that's discouraging as we make disciples, but we also see salvation. As we make disciples, we see God at work doing salvation. He's saving people, and, and through Paul and Barnabas, through their mission, people are putting their faith in Jesus. It's happening. People are responding to the gospel message, and, and the Jewish community, for the most part, is rejecting Jesus, but the Gentile community, the, the outsiders uh, in the past, they're welcomed in now to the family of Jesus just as God said, and, and when the Gentiles heard this, it says in verse 48, they began rejoicing and glorifying the word of the Lord, the gospel message, and as many as were appointed to eternal life believed. And the opposition of people we see is it's no match for the grace of God, right? People can, people can yell at us, they can imprison us, they can, they can even kill us, but but the message of Jesus will continue to save people. God will continue to rescue people from sin and darkness. But what we need to see is this connection, right? God can and does save people. He's at work, but he's doing it through us. He's doing it through our mission. We give the invitation. We can't save people. We can't convince people. God does that. God is the one who saves, and that is one of the most incredible things when you are a Christian, when you're following Jesus to make, you're trying to obey Jesus, when somebody responds in faith, you never are like, it's because I did such a good job teaching them about Jesus. But you marvel and you go, this is incredible. This is what it's all about. This is the life that I want to be a part of. Seeing people meet Jesus, it's incredible. And it says the word of the Lord was spreading throughout the whole region in spite of the opposition. The chapter closes by saying the disciples were filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. Remember the dance that we talked about at the beginning? <laughs> it's easier to be an observer, less risk, right? To put ourselves out there, it's, we might embarrass ourselves, we might step on somebody's foot, we might knock somebody over. <laughs> but, but when you're watching that happen, where's, where's the life? Where's the joy? 
Look at the, the smiles on people's faces as they're running around and dancing and enjoying that celebration. That's, that's where the life and the joy is. And so, so I think our call here, our invitation, is to take a deep breath and just get out on the floor, to be on Jesus' mission. Because yes, it's easier to watch it happen uh, it's easier to not, because we're not putting ourselves out there, we're not risking too much, we're not experiencing the challenges, but where's the joy of following Jesus if we're just sitting on the sideline? Where is the life uh, of, of what it means to belong to Jesus if we're just sitting there watching other people get to do it or being involved in it? So, so yes, it is difficult to go on Jesus' mission, and we have to, we have to labor to learn how to, to speak and, and show Jesus to other people, and, and there's going to be opposition, and there's going to be pain, but God is still saving people, and we're invited to be part of that process. It's actually, God says, you're the ones who, you're the channel, and, and he, in a sense, needs us to complete his mission in the world, and we think, well, I I don't even know how to do that, but that's the call for us, that in the Holy Spirit, right, that last verse, they are filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. We don't go alone. The Father has sent us, Jesus is with us, and the Holy Spirit lives in us as we go. Let's pray. Father, what a beautiful life you have called us into. You use all these pictures and words like fruit and, and growing, and, and health. And I know when each of us, when we look at our lives, we might, we might think, I don't, I don't see a whole lot of fruit. I don't see a whole lot of growing happening. But I pray that you would help us to have faith in, uh, in you, Jesus, that, that you've actually called us into this life, and that we have, in many ways, shrunk back. We've, 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 been content to sit on the side of the room while, while others are, are out there enjoying the dance. And I pray that, that you would call us into that once again, and that we would uh, just with a little bit of faith get out on the floor, that we would, we would go on the mission that you've called us to, that we would take risks in the Holy Spirit, and that you would lead us to people that we could show the love of Jesus to, that we could tell the good news of Jesus to. Thank you for loving us, Jesus. Thank you for being uh, our Savior. And thank you for calling us into this life. We pray now in Jesus' name. Amen.